Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive science knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and joining me this week, as always, is science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. And our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Hello. So uh, now that the controversy has died down a little bit, who should be the next host of Jeopardy? Because like, I didn't want to talk uh... about it when it was happening. <laughs> it seemed too hot. I think that the time to talk about these things is after everybody's made up their minds. Uh, and we can all just be a little bit more chill about it. Who should it be and why should it be me? Oh, oh. you. No. <laughs> you <laughs> that didn't well, even occur to you? Well, no. I actually think you'd be great at it, though. I can't read very well. Uh, I think that, like, you really have to get it every time. And I am a uh, I'm a two-take wonder, you know? I, I don't expect myself to get it on the first try. And I think that the yeah. contestants would find that pretty annoying. Yeah, might confuse them. You really can't mess up because like once the thing's up, they're getting ready. Hell, maybe I should do it. Yeah, you're a reading champion. First Santa, (laughs) then Garfield, and now Jeopardy host Sam Schultz. Chris Pratt can't have all the fun. That's right. I have to also be (laughs) omnipresent. Sarah, do you have thoughts about who who should be a Jeopardy person? No, because I don't know who who can do that. What was Alex Trebek's CV that made him qualified? Like he had hosted other game shows before that. That's all he was though. Yeah. There aren't that many game show hosts anymore. Certainly not new ones. There's not a bunch of like new game shows happening. No. Which is Drew a- Carey is the newest of all. 
It's like 20 years old. So every week here on SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts while also trying to stay on topic, which we're just so good at. Our panelists are playing for glory and for Hank Bucks, which I will be awarding as we play. And the episode arrives, and one of them will be crowned the winner. Now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem, this week from Sam. And I've been I've been told it's very good. Sam could not shut up about it. It's a Sari killer is what I like to call it. You think her poem was good? Oh. <laughs> Wait till you hear this poem. I'm ready. I'm excited. There once was a lady from Egypt oh, no. who needed red lips, so then she just squished up some bugs, smeared them on her mug, and said, now I am ready to be kissed. <laughs> <laughs> in jolly old Victorian England, dark lashes were a thing that was quite in, but there weren't no Revlon, so people had to depend on homemade stuff made of ash and berry skin. Okay. You want cheeks that look like they're blushing? Back to Egypt, then we must be Russian. They mix red dirt and fat on their faces, put that, and said, now it looks like my face is blood gushing. No. <laughs> <laughs> in Rome, people have blemishes to hide, so white chalk on their faces applied. But those of higher station used lead paste as foundation and ended up sick and then died. Uh, <laughs> Sam... Schultz yeah. has introduced our topic, which is <laughs> cosmetics with a historical limerick journey through the ancient world uh, in all the different ways that we used to have painted upon our faces. Yeah. It's been a while since we've had a, a series of limericks to introduce it. Mm-hmm. Sari, what is a cosmetic? Well, I can't answer. I'm dead. I'm slain from Sam's <laughs> poem. <laughs> so cosmetic, broadly speaking, is any sort of chemical, either human-made, so synthetically made, or from natural sources that is applied to the body. And I think especially we call things that we put on our faces cosmetic, Mm -hmm. um, like makeup-related things, to improve appearance in some way. Well, it doesn't have to improve it. I think so. I can use cosmetics to make myself look worse. I've seen people do that on TikTok. Yeah, it looks spooky or something. That's fair. I don't know. You're improving your humorous <laughs> nature, maybe. Mm, expressing yourself in some manner, I suppose. Yeah. Or to just change the appearance. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that can be either like mixing pigment in with liquidy stuff or just like splashing the pigment on you or I don't know, makeup and <laughs> nail polish and uh, deodorant mm. and oh, I was wondering, uh, like moisturizing face cream or like deodorant. Mm-hmm. Those those feel more like pharmaceuticals or something. Well, I me. wouldn't go that far. I did a deep dive into the FDA, and it made me almost want to take a law school class because <laughs> oh. it is so freaking wild. So there's uh like cosmetics. So things are either classified as cosmetics or drug. Like that's the binary. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. And so products intended to cleanse or beautify are regulated as cosmetics. So, so soap is a cosmetic. No, soap is a third category. Oh, so, oh. so you lied to me. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> you you just jumped the exception. Oh, okay. You got to get the foundation before you learn about soap, Hank. Okay. Please. So like cleansing or beautifying. So like uh, like makeup or toothpaste or deodorant. But if the product affects the function of the body and this is where the line gets wibbly to me sciencey mm-hmm. but the FDA draws it pretty starchly it's called it's a drug so any sort of like acne treatment 
if it's not a deodorant, so you're like slathering it on your skin is a cosmetic. But if it's antiperspirant, mm. it stops you from sweating, then it's a drug. Oh. So now soap is a special category because the regulatory definition of soap is if you mix fatty acids and something alkaline like sodium hydroxide or potassium hydroxide uh, or something like that, and the metal, so like the sodium or potassium, links up with the fatty acids to make soap. So it's chemically defined. And then if it has like a, a disproportionate amount of like not that specifically chemical, mm-hmm. uh, if it doesn't meet all that criteria and if it has more detergents or more other stuff or has like fragrance mm-hmm. and other non-directly cleansing related things, you can't call it a soap. So like most body washes, I think, and shampoos and whatnot are not FDA classified as a soap. They're all cosmetic because they're like, oh, they they like have so many scents in them that they're not a soap. Well, look, only a little bit of the world is America. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. And that this seems very, uh, some people had to figure out how to, how to regulate things. Yeah. But I think that deodorant is not a cosmetic. Like, is perfume, like, I don't think perfume is a cosmetic, mm. but I, but, well, now I have to look up what cosmetic means. Sari's probably going to tell us what cosmetic means, I right? do have it. It comes from the Latinized form of the Greek cosmetike. The art of dress and adornment. Oh, wow. Well, there you go. So it does seem like visually based. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like an art of anointing or decorating the human body. But you can like anoint Anointing. smell. Mm -hmm. Anointing is always about smells. You got to get those oints on. Now I feel like it's pharmaceutical because ointments are often pharmaceutical. So it's always been messy. Yeah, and it only gets messier because the root word is cosmos. Of course it is. <laughs> so, which yeah. just means order or ornament and event like it started out meaning order and then later on was used to describe like the universe. Oh my god, this is surprisingly complicated. I I want to fight about it all episode, but we can't. <laughs> we have to move on to the quiz portion of our show where I have a game for you. It's are you ready to be presented with three facts and only one of them is true? Yes, please. Many of our modern day cosmetics have their basis in trends or techniques that have been around for millennia, but some of their present day forms are rooted in advances made in the 20th century to create or improve new products and packaging. Sometimes those innovations came from the most unlikely of stories. So for today's truth or fail, here are three stories of cosmetic ingenuity, but only one of them is true. Fact number one. The metal case holding lipsticks was invented after World War II when the owner of a munitions factory that was no longer needed realized he could repurpose his equipment and materials to make a convenient lipstick case. But it could be fact number two. In the 1960s, a pharmacist invented the first mascara wand by loading an empty tube with pigment and adding a pipe cleaner, which was usually sold to tobacco smokers to make application easier for his customers. Or it could... Be fact number three. Acrylic nails were invented in the 1950s when a dentist broke his nail while working and turned to the materials around him to create a protective barrier while his nail grew back. So what do you think it is? The munitions factory lipstick bullet, the pipe cleaner mascara wand, or the band-aid acrylic nail? Oh, I feel like after World War II, bullet manufacturers just said, let's keep selling the same amount of bullets always and wouldn't have changed their bullet factory into something else. 
Is that what really? the implication was? You think that we use the same amount of bullets during war as not during war? Not use, maybe sell. This is a boy from Montana right You here. never know when you yeah. need some bullets. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just keep making them. People aren't going to not want our bullets. Exactly. And, and this is my unfamiliarity with guns, but I feel like a bullet casing is too small for lipstick. There are lots of different, what do they call them? Calibers. Um, calibers <laughs> of bullets. Thank you, Montana Voice. I've never, I've never touched a gun in my entire life. I just, you know, know some gun words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so I think maybe a caliber for like a big, a big... Uh, a big one. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <kinda. laughs> So the pipe one is basically pipe cleaner. Is like Yeah, a pipe, pipe cleaner, cleaner that and... was used for cleaning tobacco pipes. He was like, what if I stick this in a little vial of ink and oh. people can make their eyelashes look bigger? Uh. I guess that would make some logical sense because early makeup was just like soot anyway yeah. in some ways where it was like charcoal mixed in with Vaseline or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I could see just like maybe even... <laughs> With the, the tobacco soot, just like, oh, this yeah, kind of works. Start it with makes that. My eyelashes longer, and then <laughs> like, ah, my eyes yeah. hurt now. So maybe I should do like some some ink thing instead. What's the last one? A dentist with his oh, gnarly gross. nail. Yeah, okay, okay. the broken nail, and he invented the acrylic nails this way. It was and like, this did. is actually, actually, it looks quite nice. <laughs> what are acrylics used for in dentistry? Oh, I don't know why why he had acrylic around. I feel like you'd have extremely hard acrylics that would maybe be unsuitable for nail replacement. Have you seen these people's nails? It's very hard. I guess so. I guess that's true. Doesn't seem like he'd have everything he'd need, maybe. Yeah. And then I guess when it got long enough, if it regrew, you could just cut it off or something or whatever. Or you just wear it. a Band-Aid too, though. But look, this guy, maybe he's like, I want, <laughs> I want to solve this problem long term. And I'm doing this to people's teeth and I'm going to do it to me now and then I'm going to be a millionaire because look, everybody wants these nails. Mm. Look at me. I wasn't going to check it, but I'm maybe recency biased, but I'm just going to say it. I think it's the dentist man. That one now sounds like the most likely one to you after that performance that Hank just put on. You don't, didn't like my Vogue? <laughs> I liked it, but... <laughs> look, they all sound fake to me. And so like... A dentist doing his nail to fix a practical thing feels better than some guy sticking a pipe cleaner in ink and feels better than some gruff Montanan bullet guy being like, you know what? We should stick some lip goo in here. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think I'm going to go with the the mascara one. I think the lipstick one is more like that would be a more complicated invention process than that. And the other one's just obviously transparently bullshit. Well, Fake nails date back at least as far as 600 BCE with the long nail guards worn by aristocrats in China. But the modern acrylic nail is the product of a dentist named Ah, Frederick Slack, who cut his nail while working in a dental lab and decided to use some aluminum foil and dental acrylic to fix it. Over time, he and his family would go on to formulate different acrylic formulas and gels as part of their acrylic nail systems. This is not the first time that dentists would create a fake nail. In 1935, a dentist named Maxwell Lapp created a fake set of nails to help patients who were biting their nails too much as well. Look, fingernails are like the teeth of your hands. I guess that's what we've proven today. (laughs) If that many of them have had this idea... Two, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. And then the first uh, lipsticks were significantly before World War II. Um, in ni- 1915, Maurice Levy created the Levy Tube, 
with a two inch long tube that had a, a lever that allowed you to push the the stick up the tube. Huh. Uh, and mascara was a thing, um, and it was made out of coal dust. So, Sarah, you were right when you're talking about soot uh, as, and combined with Vaseline. Um, and it wasn't until 1957 that the first person, a woman named Helena Rubinstein, created the Mascaramatic, which was a, a wand mm-hmm. that could be dunked into the tube that you see now. It's a really fun name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was such a good time for the Maddox. Everything was Maddox because we were so into machines and now yes. we're less into machines. Everything's got... Maddox now so it doesn't matter. We can't it's call right. it that. Yeah, we're going back exciting. to the natural roots. Everything's non-GMO, even things that <laughs> 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 everything's gluten-free, even things that aren't don't have gluten in them. Yeah, non-GMO yeah. salt. So. I saw non-GMO <laughs> salt the other day and I was like, really? So the, the rock uh-huh. is ge- not genetically modified. Did you really <laughs> see that? Yeah. What the hell? Oh yeah, I see non-GMO like water on water bottles. It's like what it? <laughs> there's no yeah. this H2O. There's no the organisms. Part. There's <laughs> yeah. no G's to M. There's yeah. no O. Oh, it's not an O. <laughs> it's just part of the long human tradition of being duped by extremely dumb bullshit. Well, like I was it's, by your tr- it's true. It's not GMO. It's water. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> next up we're gonna take a short break, and then it'll be time for the fact off. Slasher Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services, these things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast aspersions? Dispersions? Aspersions. One of those. But... It does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun Mm -hmm. burns out. And you know what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet. Your money is like a bean. (laughs) (laughs) You want to plant it in fertile soil. You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. That bean's not going to grow. If there's there's a constant drain on the the bean, that (laughs) is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and beyond I mean, beans and beyond subscription canceling, (laughs) Rocket Money helps you build budgets, track your spending and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans so they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users and it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans? I'd buy more beans. (laughs) (laughs) Different kind of bean, I guess. A so cheaper, beans, more yeah. of a cheaper type you of bean. You buy cheaper beans with your expensive beans. <laughs> yeah, until I had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have. <laughs> Subscription <laughs> companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot. And now you can use that money for beans instead. Stop wasting <laughs> money on things you don't use and start using money on things like beans. Cancel your unwanted <laughs> subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. 
SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary-defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, They sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks, and we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850+, their best-selling honey. It's not the same. (laughs) It's not (laughs) what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 plus Manuka honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's manukora.com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome back, everybody. Sari is in the lead with one point to Sam's zero, and now it is time to hear their facts. So each of them have brought a science fact to present to me in an attempt to blow my mind. And after they have presented their facts, I will judge which one of them can be made into the better TikTok, and I will award Hank Bucks to that fact. And to decide who goes first, I have a trivia question. Lipsticks aren't just for aesthetics. Some of them are made with UV protection built in. Plant extracts like uh, Carthamus tinctorius, L or CTE, are used to add a natural red-orange color, and those extracts absorb UV radiation due to their chemical structure. So what SPF can 50 milligrams of CTE extract provide for your lips? I'm looking for like a two-digit number. Cool. Well, I know sunscreen is generally like somewhere between 15, and the high end is is like 80. I'm going to say... 30? That feels middling. Mm. Sorry, went for 30. But would it be middling or would it be really watered down? I'm going to say 10. Well, it didn't really matter because Sari almost got it right on the nose. It Shit. is 31, and that means that, oh, thir- that Sari well, gets to yeah. go first or decide who goes first. Isn't she just so smart? 
Good for she's, her. <laughs> she's super smart, but she's never hit me with a limerick like that, Sam. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm not even here anymore. This is the ghost of me. I've been slain by your limerick. Remember, Sam? I guess so. Continuity. It doesn't feel real. It feels like you guys are patronizing me. <laughs> mm. You want to go first to prove your manliness? Oh, fuck. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I'm settling in to listen. So Egyptian vultures are vultures that live in Egypt and also across Africa and Southern Europe. And they're a striking looking bird with very yellow faces that they apparently get from carotenoids that they obtain from eating the excrements of ungulates. That's a quote from a paper I read. Uh, And more (laughs) importantly, bright white feathers, except some of them have reddish ochre feathers and they don't have reddish feathers from eating anyone's excrement. They are covered in red dirt. So researchers have noted for a long time that many Egyptian vultures are covered in red dirt in the past, but I guess they must have just thought they were dirty or something and they didn't really look into it. But in 2017, researchers at an observation station in the Canary Islands observed something. Uh, Since they had tagged each bird, they could tell that there was individual variation in just how red each of the birds were. Some were white and some were like drenched in red dirt mm-hmm. and everywhere in between. So they put out a basin of red muddy water next to a basin of clean water to see what would happen. And so over the course of the day or the time amount of time that they were watching these vultures, about 90 vultures stopped by to grab a drink and hang out. Most of them ignored the muddy basin, uh, but 18 of the birds walked up to the mud and started rubbing their heads and chest in red goop. And some slept on a lot. Some only did a little bit. Some took like two or three baths in this red dirt. Uh, and there wasn't any seeming pattern to the gender or age of the birds. Uh, some just did it and some just didn't do it. There are other types of birds that take dirt baths and almost all of them are doing it to shield themselves from like bugs and parasites and Mm -hmm. creepy crawlies. Then there are other birds that paint themselves with mud, but they do it for like practical reasons like camouflage or very clearly like mating related purposes. Uh, But since not all that many Egyptian vultures were painting themselves and there isn't like a gender or age specific split in those that do it and those that don't, the researchers don't actually know why they do it and think that it's possible that they're painting themselves red purely for cosmetic reasons based on their own personal preference. Uh, And these birds otherwise are really smart. Not that painting yourself isn't smart. They're also smart in addition to that (laughs) because they've been seen breaking eggs open with rocks and using sticks to pull wool off of sheep to bring back and use in their nests. So it doesn't seem like off base (laughs) that maybe they'd want to look nice. Right. And uh, plus purely social reasons, like as in not mating or camouflage based feather coloring has been observed in just one other bird total, the bearded vulture. But researchers know that bearded vultures which are solitary, are painting themselves as a way to signal dominance or like scare each other or something like that. Mm -hmm. But Egyptian vultures are social and they just hang out in big groups and seem to paint themselves for no discernible reason. Uh, As of 2017, the researchers were planning to to get birds and paint them themselves uh, in different ways or even to put out different color mud to see what kind of reaction that would get from the birds but i couldn't find any follow-up so maybe ah, i want to see i want to see if they put a bunch of muds out if like some birds are like i don't like red i want to be purple a blue bird yeah maybe they don't <laughs> the other ones aren't painting themselves because they don't want that color that could be mm-hmm. it that's super cool i love the idea that they have just have a preference it's like i just want to i just felt like we'll go on red today yeah which i do birds. that's how i feel sometimes sometimes i want to go purple 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Sari, what do you have for us? So, stockings have been around for centuries as basically long socks. They're two tubes of fabric, one for each leg, made from animal hide, cotton, linen, wool, silk, or other fabrics. Some fabrics were warmer than others, while some were more form-fitting and some were more expensive because they were harder to come by, like silk. Regardless, stockings were a practical fashion staple for people of all genders for a while and eventually were advertised more specifically to women for warmth and or modesty beneath skirts and dresses. And transparent, a.k.a. sheer stockings, became more popularized around the early 1900s. And in my totally not a historian opinion, this seems like where function and aesthetic started to blur. Like instead of just being colored leg socks, stockings were sheer flesh tones that could help even out the color on bare legs. They were typically made of silk, which, like I said, were expensive, or a synthetic fiber made from cellulose called rayon, until the chemistry company DuPont manufactured and widely released a different synthetic material called nylon. Chemically, nylon is a polyamide, which is basically an organic compound with some nitrogen in it, and became widely popular because it was strong, elastic, heat-resistant, sheer, and relatively cheap. So nylon stockings were mass-produced by DuPont in the United States starting around 1940. However, another little thing was going on in 1940, World War II. So after around a year of nylon stocking abundance, in in November 1941, DuPont shifted to producing nylon products for military purposes like parachutes and ropes. And this is where women and the advertising industry turned to cosmetics. Nylon stockings were nearly impossible to come by, but not everyone was comfortable bare-legging it. So liquid stockings started to catch on, which were bottles of leg makeup that had been around for a couple decades in the U.S., mostly for theater and movies. Uh And chemically, as far as I can tell, this leg makeup was just pigments suspended in stuff like water and glycerin, and you could slather it on with a sponge. And then never sit down. Yeah. (laughs) That was the problem. Uh, The makeup often wasn't waterproof or could smudge over the course of, like, living your life. And the liquid stockings didn't simulate the seam that was on the back of stockings. So very meticulous women would draw that seam on the back of their legs with an eyebrow pencil. How do you draw the the back of your legs? Very carefully. (laughs) I I can't even imagine. Yeah, I don't know. You could turn yourself into a pretzel to get yourself a seam. No, it will be easy. Try drawing on the back of your leg right now. But like... Yeah, you sit cross-legged and you go, boop. But like, oh my... I guess... I, could I just drew myself two seams right like, now. I guess you're not going to go that high up. Yeah, yeah. You I can go us. all the way up to my butt if I wanted to. Well, you can't see that, though. You can't see it. You got to look at your ass in the mirror? I can I can intuit the shape of my ass. Okay. <laughs> I don't need to see it. You can draw a seam just right up over the butt cheek up to your shoulder yeah. if you tried hard enough. <laughs> I'm wearing full body liquid stockings. Yeah. <laughs> and just wearing liquid body. Um, but all that to say, we obviously do not paint on liquid stockings today. And people were very relieved to be able to purchase nylon stockings again or pantyhose, which are just connected stockings, so you don't have to put on each leg separately. I learned that researching this fact. But liquid makeup didn't disappear completely. In fact, before the 1940s, as far as I can tell, most makeup was powder, like you powdered your face with foundation or blush. Mm -hmm. There were a couple creamy things like lipsticks or formulations of calamine lotion for itches or stage face paint, but not so many skin tone colored pigments suspended in liquid. 
So it seems like the rapid demand and competition for liquid stockings help push more innovation in this area of cosmetic chemistry. Chemists improved the suspension of pigment powder in liquids and worked on things like how fast liquid makeup dried, how evenly it coated skin, and how much it resisted being rubbed off. And nowadays, liquid Mm. makeup, like foundation that you apply with fancy sponges, is really plentiful. So I wouldn't be so bold as to say the nylon shortage paved the way for all modern liquid makeup, but there is a link between what we have now and the chemistry innovations of the 1940s that I didn't know about until recently. That's super cool, Sari. Um, And I appreciate that you didn't, as any good clickbaity uh, article writer would have done, say, and we wouldn't have foundation if it weren't for parachutes, (laughs) (laughs) which would, you know, that's the the headline that you want. That's the headline. But you can't have it because it's not true. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, there are so many other chemists doing so many other yeah. things that, like, <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. I saw it there waiting, so I wanted to, like, weave it in. So thank you for appreciating that. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I guess it's my turn now to decide who who's going to win it. I feel like, in the end, it's Sam. Oh, thank God. I like those, I like those <laughs> boys. And it's good pictures, too. Uh, They're cute, huh? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think that TikTok might appreciate a, a makeup fact. And uh, and I just love birds thinking, <laughs> living their lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that the win has to go to Sam to reward him for his limericks. Oh, thank God again. Mm-hmm. I needed that. It's been a while. <laughs> been having a tough time, Hank. Eh? I was thinking, Sam, just off screen in your basement, and you have a dartboard with my face on it. I'm like, I'm going to get you. <laughs> now it is time to ask the science couch where there are some listener questions for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. This one is from Trinity R. Cook, who asks, what ingredients used in cosmetics throughout history were the worst? Sam already told us about lead, which was the thing that I mostly knew about. There's also like a lot of poop that's involved, but like that doesn't mean necessarily mean it's bad. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's so here are the worst the the things that are the three categories of worst: grossest, mm. most dangerous, and most destructive um, to the world outside of the person who's putting the makeup on. Um, and I don't know any of them except for lead. But Zary, d- how how do you feel about my three categories? I love those three categories, and I wish we had this conversation like (laughs) 24 to 48 hours ago, (laughs) because that would be a great direction to take this, Uh, but unfortunately, we didn't, so I just looked up dangerous, because that's what I had off the top of my head, Mm -hmm. and it felt easiest, like the lowest barrier to entry for me to Google, because I need the right direction. Um, And easiest, because Sam already did one of them for me, but yeah, lead... (laughs) was used for a really long time. So starting in Greek and Roman times, used as kind of like an all-over concealer for any freckles or marks. White lead was also used in paintings as well. So it was just like, well, you paint the wall and you paint your your face. Same mm. thing. Um, and it carried on through history to like 16th and 17th century England, where uh, it was used also as a cover-up, but also as like a whitening paste. So uh, pale skin, and probably some degree of racism also played mm-hmm. into this this cosmetic ideal, but you wanted to be as pale as possible. Also, the beauty standard of paler um, was associated with wealth because you weren't laboring and you were oh. rich enough to like stay out of the sun. So I think that's why a lot across a lot of cultures, not being tan mm-hmm. for a long time was was like the peak of beauty because it was like, oh, you're wealthy enough 
to be pale. Huh. This one's kind of a throwaway, but but this, a number two dangerous thing that makes my top three worst cosmetics list is <laughs> radium everything. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. I, I don't know. It's just fun to talk about because when radium was discovered in, ni- in 1898, everyone was like, radium this, radium that, and sort of like and everything was matic. Everything was also mm-hmm. radio something because we were like, it's glowy. It's modern. It's cool. Uh-huh. Um, and so there were brands like Radior based in London uh, that was started in 1917. That what used, did it, what, what'd you do? What did people just radium, glow? Uh, yeah, I think so. Or just put Ooh. some in it, like in face screams, soaps, powders, and blush. And in 1930s, Thoradia, Thoradia, because I think thorium was also mm. in, incorporated in it, um, created cosmetics. I don't know if they were bright enough to glow. No, I think it probably was more like it was just like a cool the thing. Idea mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like putting it. it's putting like putting non-GMO on water. You know, it's just like oh, we put <laughs> radium in it. Yeah, there are some cases of people regularly using these radium products dying, but I think most of them they were just sold a fad. Yeah. Um, but the people who did end up dying were the people who worked in those watch factories. Uh, uh, yeah. So like the the Radium Girls, which were a group of about 4,000 factory workers in the United States who painted watch faces with glowing radium paint. Like that's when you hear it's not really cosmetic, but they would like paint on their faces as something to do while they were bored in the factory and using that unofficial mm-hmm. makeup. They, they ended up uh, getting a lot of anemia and bone cancers mm-hmm. and other bad health conditions. Um, so that's that's pretty worst, <laughs> in my opinion. And then one of them that I feel like gets overlooked but is very fun to talk about is uh, deadly nightshade eye drops. Mm. So Whoa. they're made of atropine or atropa belladonna. Okay. And belladonna, like the species name, uh-huh. means beautiful lady in Italian. And that's the name of the plant came from because women would use extracts uh-huh. of this plant, drop them in their eyes to dilate their pupils and make them <sighs> look really wide and like baby-like and beautiful because like a huge dark pupil mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. in vogue. Do you just um, in like constant light-based pain? Is that what would? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Or you and, like would stay in the dark to be like a vampire, yeah. <laughs> stay away from the sun. But the thing is, it sounds like you shouldn't do it because yeah, all we know about it shade. is it's like a smooth muscle relaxant. Mm-hmm. But... In very, very small amounts, this is the same toxin that eye doctors use to dilate your eyes. Even now. Even now. We just use it in small controlled doses as opposed to just like shoving the plant in your eye. Yeah. And like here's a bunch of like really strong muscle relaxants to keep in your home, Mm -hmm. which is not a good idea. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like a medical use versus a cosmetic use. Uh And but but wild. I love that this thing that was used dangerously for beauty. It's like, oh, still, it's the best way to see to the back of your eye. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta look in there. Yeah. I have looked up, I have found two destructive cosmetics that are that hurt not the people. One, Me? a bunch of stuff made out of whales. Just tons <laughs> yeah. of stuff mm. made out of whales. So let's not, we're mostly not doing that anymore, but still a little bit we are. Uh, and then second, microplastics, which like these little beads, they're like a really nice way to like create texture and uh, like I mean, like little plastic beads that we we did that for a long time. 
starting to do it less because mm. look, you make a little plastic bead, it's never going anywhere. It's gonna like, get in the fish one way or the other. That's permanent. That's forever. Yeah. <laughs> You've created a lot of tiny beads. What about all the stink we took out of beavers? That's probably that. Yeah. Too, huh? Also, probably not great for the beavers and the environments that uh, that they can, that they control. Um, castorium, the beaver stink. Mm-hmm. For sure. But so let's do that less and also uh, poison our eyes less. <laughs> <laughs> yep. If you want to ask the Science Couch your question, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out uh, topics for upcoming episodes every week. Or you can join the SciShow Tangents Patreon and ask us on our Discord. Thank you to at Crispy, at Mooney Riot, and everybody else for your questions for this episode. If you like the show and you want to help us out, it's so easy to do that. You can go to uh, patreon.com slash SciShowTangents to become a patron. You get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes, which are very fun and stupid. Second, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's super helpful and helps us know what you like about the show and finally if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents just tell tell people people about about us us. thank you for joining us I've been Hank Green I've been Sari Riley and I've been Sam Schultz SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz who edits a lot of these episodes along with Hiroko Matsushima our social media organizer is Paolo Garcia Prieto our editorial assistants are Deboki Chakravarti Emma Douster and Alex Billow our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon thank you and remember the mind is not a vessel to be filled but a Fire to be lighted. But one more thing. If you've watched CSI, you might be familiar with the idea of using hair as a tool to identify the people involved in a crime. The most reliable analyses often come from head or pubic hair, but other body parts, like the butt, can also leave hair behind. And you might think that an assailant could throw the investigators off the trail with cosmetics like dyeing or bleaching hair. But in a 2020 paper from the journal Analytical Methods, researchers used Raman spectroscopy to determine if the hair was dyed, bleached, or dyed then bleached with 96% accuracy. So hold on to your butt hairs because cosmetics... Can't cover up a crime. That was a bit of a reach, but we got it. Now, there. wait a minute. <laughs> you know, the first thing I, I do when I commit a murder is bleach my butt hair. Yes. You should probably just... Just in case. Yeah, you got to wax all your butt hair off just in case even more. Yeah, before you commit a murder, just become Mr. Clean. <laughs> anything hair. That's good, too, because he has all that cleaning product on hand as well. Oh, he man. He is the perfect murderer. Wow, Mr. Clean. <laughs> <laughs>